It's the will to fight. And determination to win. Found inside each and every Marine. Get up! Jump! The minute I got to the top of the bridge, they had set off an IED and it hit the truck. And uh, one friend of mine was killed and I was hurt real bad. Severed artery in his leg. He'd lost the hearing in his left ear. He had a concussion. Uh, horrendous shrapnel injuries down his entire left side. The first day that we took over our sector, we had um, my old company commander was killed, and uh, one of my good friends was killed. And um, there was another guy that, you know, he lost his leg, and two other guys got wounded. It really made it real, and you know, very quickly. So it was, you know, it was no longer a game at that point. That that invincibility that buying into marine stuff, it ends that first day. And certainly each firefight after that, I mean, you quickly learn that at any second, you can be dead. Lance Corporal Chad B. Maynard, age 19. Staff Sergeant Justin L. Vasquez, age 26. Thank you for tuning in to WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM. It's Sunday at 12, and you are listening to Indigo Radio. We are a group of educators seeking to deepen understanding and make connections. Find us at Indigo Radio on Instagram, Facebook, or download a previous show on SoundCloud and Apple iTunes. Just uh, type in Indigo Radio and you'll find us. We have been broadcasting for over four years. So there are over a hundred shows. Many of them can be used in the classroom. Uh, Many of them you can learn from. Um, There are topics on public health and youth youth voices of resistance. Um, So subscribe um, weekly um, wherever you get your your podcasts and to get new shows right to your device. And today we're going to be talking about how young people are targeted by the military and the amazing work that's being done to counter that recruitment. We'll hear from Amanda Jordan Starks about the work of Project Yano based in San Diego and Joanne Sheehan from the War Resisters League. So we're going to get started with a video um, from Project Yano, and we will link the whole video um, to our social media accounts on Facebook um, and, and Instagram. Project Yano stands for Youth and Non-Military Opportunity. And as you can see in our um, board right here, we do workshops for students um, in community organizations, classes, um, after-school programs. And pretty much our, our purpose in doing those presentations is to educate youth about the opportunities that they have after high school. Um, because a lot of youth of color or youth who um, live in poor neighborhoods pretty much don't get that exposure. And a lot of them are actually overexposed to the military, you know, as an option for them after school. 
My name is Maria Triplett. I'm 17. I'm a senior and I go to Conference Repertory Academy. I've been contacted by the Navy, the Navy via mail and the Army from mail too. And I was kind of surprised because of my age that I was getting it or kind of wondered how they even got my information. Okay, my name is Cheyenne Brown. I attend Lincoln High School. I'm a senior, 12th grade. Well, I've been contacted by a recruiter because I was in ROTC, well, JROTC at Lincoln. And so we always had like recruiters come all the time. And so like, but they tell us that their job isn't like to force us to go into it, that they're just here to like, let us know what's like, what, what options they have. Um, I am Josue Rendon. I attend to Diego Valley, no, Diego Springs Academy, and I'm 15. I want to join the military because I feel that I won't make it in the regular, like, high, like uh, college, because I feel that I get distracted easily. Hi, my name is Jesus Alviter, and I'm from Lincoln High School, and I'm a senior. I have been approached by an uh, officer and like it was in my ROTC class and like they start off by saying like we don't want you to join the military like they just want to like show that that you could join it and like at first like my freshman year I was really into it because they would say like what you could get was money like and then like other like um, benefits and like I ended up like changing my mind like after a while because like I got involved in Mecha and Escuelita and like they were showing me like I wouldn't like say negative but like they would show like parts of it that like they wouldn't advertise and like show people like the reality and that helped me change my mind a lot more. We have recruiters at our school a lot like all the time. In the last couple years, I've seen them probably at our school like eight times. And then I talk to them face to face like probably like three or four. That's about it. I have not been approached by a military recruiter before, um, but many of my friends have. Um, they come often, especially towards the end of the year, so like by graduation. Just asking us really like harsh questions like, Oh, well, how, what are you going to do after high school? And people would be like, well, I'm thinking about college. And they're like, oh, well, how are you going to pay for college? And stuff like that. So, all the propaganda and the rhetoric that they use is kind of, it's really persuasive. You know, like they do um, have all kinds of scholarships and, and they try to um, persuade you in thinking that they can pay for school once you get out of the military and and that you'll be well off financially um, and it sometimes like it gets to you you know you're just like oh um, you know this might be a good idea their promises of you know great careers um, you know money for college after their service and um, you know like this opportunity to move out of like their situation whether it's poverty whether it's you know fights at home with their siblings or parents you know and also like a lot of you don't, don't know what where they're going after high school end up in the military because um, you know the recruiter talks to them before a college recruiter or you know a job recruiter 
The military isn't going to La Jolla or other schools up north where it's predominantly white students. You know, they're going to Castle Park where I go or where I just graduated from. You know, they're going to the South Bay community, um, Logan, all those communities that are predominantly Latino or black. Uh, my personal dreams and aspirations, I have many, um, but um, right now it's mainly to go to college, graduate, um, hopefully be an ethnic studies teacher in high school. My dreams for the future, I honestly don't really know. Like, I just want to live pretty well, like help people and like just live pretty well. My dreams for the future are to become a computer engineer um, and have a happy life. Definitely, I think the hardest thing is um, finding funds to go to college, for example. Like, I, I just applied to FAFSA and I got my financial aid um, packet. And they even, not only do you get in debt, but your parents too, because they give you like this parent loan. And, and it's kind of, um, that kind of does make me rethink going to college at this time just because um, it's at the expense of not only me but my parents so um, just that but I mean I don't think anything stops me it's just that financial burden that right now what I need in order for my dreams to come reality is to support uh, my family I'm the first to go to college and so I really need support navigating it and the ins and out of it because my family, um, I love them, but they can't offer me a lot of advice and guidance right now. So I really need support. We're trying to give young people things to think about before they make that major commitment in their life. So our purpose is to provide youths with um, the information to make, you know, a conscious decision about joining the military or their future in terms of like their career opportunities and for them to know that there are other options out there in order to have a better life. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Um, today, our topic is military recruitment in schools and how to resist military recruitment. Um, <clears throat> we now are going to turn to an interview with Amanda Jordan Starks, who is going to tell us a little bit more about her work and um, Becca, she works with Project Yano, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And she'll okay. tell us a little bit more about Project Yano. And she's also an educator. So we have a conversation about um, the role of teachers in counter-recruitment. Great. And so we just listened to, you know, students um, who, and their experience in schools um, with recruiters and also deciding and, and changing their mind about going to college um, because of money issues and whether to go into the military or not. So um, we'll be listening to an interview with Becca and Amanda Jordan Starks of Project Yano. 
that gives young people an alternative point of view about the military and about specifically enlisting in the military. We do a lot of educational work and advocacy to help um, young people make the decision of whether or not they want to join the military in an informed way and try to give the other side from what they often hear from movies, media, and military recruiters who are very present on their campuses. And I just learned today that YANO stands for Youth and Non-Military Opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so I love that. Like, can you tell us a little bit more about how you help young people like think through the decision first of like if they're interested in the military, how they think through that decision? And then what what other opportunities do they have? Yeah, so we are an organization that does work all around the country, but we're based here in San Diego. And we do primarily counter-recruitment presentations where we are invited by career fairs, high schools, middle schools. It could be we do a lot of like METRA conferences and wherever we're invited, basically we'll go to be able to talk to young people about the high high, high risk that is involved in joining the military, that it's not just a job, that it's many years of your life, that it's something if you decide to leave, you could be put into jail um, versus another kind of job. And in our presentations, we, we give a disclaimer and we say that, you know, in the same way that military recruiters are very biased in wanting you to join, we want to provide the alternate view. We're lucky to have a lot of veterans work with us, and usually in our presentations, we invite the veterans to share their experiences in the military, which are often very surprising to the young people that we speak with, including stories of sexual harassment, stories of being lied to by recruiters who are legally allowed to lie. They'll make any promise they can to ensure that they have another person under their belt um, that they have convinced to join the military. We engage young people during our presentations in discussions about militarism, discussions about the pervasiveness of violence in our culture. We'll show videos. We sometimes do art projects. We try to provide lots of different resources to help young people think about something that a lot of them may not have given a a second thought to, especially if they have family members who've been in the military. So many times people will come up to us and say that they're doing the military just because they want their school paid for. And the reality is that sometimes you don't even have time to finish school (laughs) when you're in the military. Um, And um, in some cases it does work out and students get their GI Bill and um, they're able to pay for school. But there are some students who really don't they think that's the only way that they can do it because the military recruiters are the only people talking to them about how to pay for college. A lot of the schools that we present in or groups that we present to are lower income students. And they're the ones that recruiters really like to identify because they like to make them believe they don't have other options. So we have lots of resources for them and and directions that we can point them to talk about how to pay for college. They're available on our website. And then we usually bring a whole spread of, of paper materials, both in English and in Spanish, that help show young people where they can 
pay for college without joining the military. And then we also talk about careers and opportunities available after high school where students can get the same experience of living in a different place or exploring a career without having to join the military. Amanda, you're a teacher. When we teach in schools where military recruiters are there on a regular basis, what do you think the role of the teacher can and should be in that situation? So some teachers are afraid <laughs> of, of having strong political stances as, as they might see it. And that includes the military. We recently were a part of a, a webinar set up by NOMI, which is another great organization called National Network Opposing the Militarization of Youth, um, that talked about how to work with teachers in bringing counter-recruitment into the classroom. And one thing that we talked about was how we can help, you know, teachers fit the topic in with what they're already going over with students. For instance, if you look at a history class, there are lots of examples of people resisting the draft and, re and resisting militarism in the history of the U.S., for example, but also all over the world. And sometimes we don't, when we talk about World War One, World War Two, we don't mention all the people who were opposed to those wars. We just talk about, you know, how it was fought or who won or whatever it may be. And there's so many opportunities for teachers to bring in that part of the history. And I think kids really love hearing that war is not just this inevitable thing. It's not something that we have to have in order to have so-called pro progress. It's a choice. I think that for other classes as well, if you go to any high school classroom, especially when you get to juniors and seniors, they're thinking about what they're going to do after high school. And they're thinking about it all the time. And they're thinking about it in their math class, maybe their geography class, their PE class. And um, they there are opportunities, opportunities to be able to talk to them about um, what they might do after high school and that it doesn't have to be a four-year university and also doesn't have to be the military. So even providing resources in a small way, taking, taking a little bit of time in the classroom to, to talk about this is, is really worth it in every single classroom in the United States. It's a relevant topic for sure, especially considering the selective service. Our sister organization is the committee opposed to militarism in the draft. And it's been working for many decades to ensure that we don't have a draft again. And actually, just recently, several lawmakers have introduced a bill to get rid of the selective service, saying that it costs $25 million in taxpayer dollars. But the reality is we're probably not going to have a draft again. And we haven't had a draft since 1973. There's also been movement to ensure that women will also have to be part of the selective service. So normally, if you're a young man in this country, you identify as male, you are barred from things like financial aid if you do not register with the selective service. And there there are certain people who are trying to push through making sure in, in the name of so-called equality that women would also have to do this. And some people think, oh, this is a great thing. 
But the reality is we don't want the draft for anybody. <laughs> we don't want selective service for anybody. We don't want, you know, people to be kind of limited from, from opportunity because they, they don't want to be a part of the selective service. There is a process to be a conscientious objector and not do it, but a lot of people don't know about it. So we do a lot of educational work with, with that as well. But I think that young people do need to think about, you know, do they want this so-called right to be in the military or should, or is our right to not have to be (laughs) in the military and not have to go to war if we don't want to. Project Yano also historically has worked on getting this. It sucks because it's still happening that schools will replace PE with JROTC and they'll put kids in JROTC without their parents' consent. And parents have to try really hard to get their their kids out of those classes or they'll replace other classes with JROTC. So we, Yano and San Diego got, um, successfully got um, target practice removed from schools because that, that was part of oh um, PE curriculum down here in San Diego. And years ago, with the effort of a lot of young people, they got rid of them. But the, our, the JROTC, they're still pretty present in schools, at least here in San Diego. And it's still a struggle to make sure that they're not you know, kind of putting kids in to meet their numbers or that unqualified people are teaching young people, you know, like if you have a military background, you can all of a sudden teach young people as a part of JROTC. So there are things like that, that we're also continual to work on, on an advocacy level. And then also schools and parents will reach out to us for advice on how to deal with that. Like, Hey, at our school, they're doing this thing. What can we do both here and all over California and all over the country? They'll reach out. Yeah, I don't know. It's so frustrating because young people, you know, it's just, they're just, you know, preyed upon, (laughs) it feels like, you know, Mm -hmm. and not to say, you know, some young people, they really, that's their dream. They want to do the military. They love it. You know, they're, it's really strong in their family. And, and again, there, there are those folks, but then there are a lot of people who don't know that they have that choice Mm -hmm. and teachers can help, help do that advocacy work. And they don't have to worry about losing their job. You know, they just have to ensure that, you know, it's fair. If you're going to allow a military recruiter on campus, you should also allow someone to talk about the other perspective. Sometimes we set up at career fairs across from military Marine Corps and then us. And it's cool to see like young people and other people like kind of coming to talk to both of us and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just so that they can get, you know, the other perspective that's often not there, you know, it's just taken for granted. When you're Mm -hmm. talking about like young people feeling like it's their only option, that starts way before the military recruiter, because that also is like how young people have been treated in school, like help determine their like their dignity and their self-worth and what they believe of themselves that is possible. Right. And so there was one kid who spoke in the video um, from Project Yano who said, like, I just can't focus. And so this is a good option for me. And so I'm just like thinking about like, that the work of teachers is also to help kids like believe in themselves that they can, they can do things um, and that they, there might be challenges, but that the possibilities are not limited by their abilities in school. Amanda, anything else you feel like is important to share about the work or something that is important to you in in thinking about this anti-military and counter-recruitment work? With this counter-recruitment work, with teaching, with so many things, is 
so much comes down to relationships. So when I've had students who were actively being sought out by military recruiters, and they would do things like add them as friend on Facebook. Military recruiters now, they're doing online gaming to meet kids, especially during COVID. So they have lots of strategies <laughs> to reach young people and they'll make it seem like they're a trusted person, like they're a friend. And maybe in some cases they are, I don't know. But the reality is they get paid per kid that they recruit, per person they recruit. And so I think that a lot of young people, you know, they may not have a lot of trusted adults in their lives and recruiters like bank on that. I don't want to put all the pressure on teachers, you know, but sometimes, you know, a lot of times a teacher might be one of the few trusted adults young person has, but I think that helping young people get involved with like outside organizations, helping them do things with their hands, like, you know, gardening or technical things. A young, a girl in my neighborhood the other day, she's about to graduate. And I was asking her what she was passionate about. She had a hard time answering, like, what do I even like? And finally, she got to like, I'm really interested in working on motorcycles, like mechanic stuff. And I was like, that's great. <laughs> so by helping them find, you know, channel their passion into something, it may not be a four-year university. It may be going to community college, maybe technical school, maybe taking a break and working. I think that those relationships are really, are really key. And just to know that recruiters are thinking about that too. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Um, our overall topic today is about um, military recruitment in schools and counter recruitment. <clears throat> and we just listened to an interview um, that Becca did with Amanda Jordan Starks of Project Yano, and which is out of San Diego. And they do a lot of amazing work um, trying to prevent youth from um, and, and educating youth about the other side of, of what the military is all about. Um, so we're going to take a little song break here. Um, and we will be playing this song called Save Our Souls by Quincy Davis. Save the people, save the Seduced in the fear and the dark confusion Is this what you call sanity? Or are we choosing delusion and desire In this empire of illusion If you hear me, tell me, can it be? That if they manage our perception 
All our actions are neutralized. Are you really understanding me? Why you intellectualize technicalities of how we brutalize how can these so-called civilized speak morality confined to the matrix? What's reality? Out the prisons of mind, I'm on a mission of five. Knowledge is ammunition for this vision inside. But these soliloquies, I take responsibility. Knowing these decisions of mine influence what the outcome be. Now when I'm spitting these rhymes, it's verbal alchemy. Sniper from the balcony, decisions of time. Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Um, You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple iTunes, um, and we're also on Facebook and Instagram. So please look us up. We have hundreds of shows that are useful for the classroom um, on public health and um, about history and about homelessness and all kinds of things. Um, And so please take a look. And um, so our topic today is um, counter recruitment in schools. And uh, we are we just moved out of an interview with Amanda Jordan Starks. And we're going to um, switch now to speaking with um, Joanne Sheehan from the War Resisters League. Well, I've been at War Resisters League. I really started my association with WRL when I got out of college, which was in 1970. So we're talking about a long history here. Uh, now I am the organizer and nonviolence trainer in the New England regional office. I do a number of things. I particularly do work around nonviolence resources and nonviolence training. I do that actually not just for New England, but I am the point person for, for nationally for War Resisters League on that. Also, uh, War Resisters League is a, an organization that started in 1923, and we believe war is a crime against humanity, and we work nonviolently um, to remove the causes of war. And so that's kind of that nonviolence work, and then also the, the anti-militarism work, which for me has included the kind of recruitment work that we'll talk about today. And I always include youth empowerment with that, which I think has a lot to do with the approach I take in, in the nonviolence training I do. At War Resisters, we are at warresisters.org. Uh, there's a website with more information on all of them. So tell us a little bit, Joanne, about what does the military do to recruit young people, both the informal and formal ways? And who are they usually trying to recruit? 
Well, let's start by saying that the military has a $1.8 billion, billion dollar budget to do recruiting. This kind of serious work that they put into this, right? So that includes an infrastructure of about 13,000 recruiters. And as many of the listeners would know, there, there are uh, military recruiting stations in most towns, including small towns. Um, and those recruiters go out to schools on a, on a regular basis. They have access to, to most high schools. That money also includes an enormous amount of money for advertising. We see a lot of that in particularly in sports games. You know, they, they're out there promoting, you know, and you, if it's about the National Guard, it's always about hurricanes. They never tell you you may have to go to war. It's about saving your neighbors kinds of thing. And, and I think one of the things I also want to say about the advertising, because I think this is important, is along with this, the quote unquote controversy around, uh, around Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, that it was only in the mid 2000s that football players were brought out onto the field for the national anthem. And they were paid to do that. The NFL was paid to do that by this military recruiting money. And they would do flyovers and they would do this kind of patriotism. So it's about kind of connecting particularly, you know, the male game of football (laughs) with the military and patriotism. Let's be real. The NFL is paid, is paid for that display of patriotism as a recruiting tool. So it's that's the visible and the invisible, right? You see the ads, you see that kind of thing. That money also includes some, but very small amount of it, about 129 million is for college benefits. And we'll talk later about kind of how that can be a bit of a scam. Yeah. And I know um, at my school, when they have a career fair, half the tables are military. um, That's right. You'll have the Navy, the Army, the Marines. Back with all this paraphernalia. And I'm like, did you go to any other tables? And they're like, no, because those are the ones that are they already have like an attachment or an excitement about the military yes. more so than any other career. Sure. And that, you know, they, it's, it's kind of psychological warfare against the kids, right? Like they know this is, let's be clear. This is advertising. Mm-hmm. This is not, you know, when we talk about what a recruiter is, they're an advertiser. If somebody is selling us something else, we're usually a little more skeptical. Like, well, wait a minute, you know, that car, that secondhand car sounds a little too good. You know, like I better check on this. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think because it's connected to because the military and patriotism and don't question authority is all tied up. I think that that, that we do see that, that the kids are like, what do you mean they would lie to me like they're in a uniform? You know, and I, I think that that's probably more so for white kids than kids of color who particularly in this day of age, much more awareness of of what's happening with the police, but also what's happening with the military. Let's look at January 6th and realize how many people are in the military or had been in the military who are the white supremacists and that now the military is having to look deeper at themselves. And for those of us who have done kind of recruitment for decades, we've known this for decades. This is, a, this is not a secret. This is not something people should have become aware of on that day. This is something that's been pretty visible for a long time. And in terms of the formal like recruitment that's happening in schools, are they you said that they're allowed in most high schools, but do you think that the they're targeting certain youth? 
Or I do. I think that they, um, I mean, particularly given if we look at like what the what the budget is, right, the military budget, that um, money for college is one of the things that they target, right? So they're targeting, for the most part, lower income people. While there are very specific skills they do need, they need doctors and nurses. You know, there's some training of that, but they also want people who have already had that training in. And we are seeing more of that now because of the pandemic and because some of these folks have been called up to help out with giving, um, with giving the shots in particular. But for the most part, the military needs grunts, right? They need people who are in the infantry, people who can be called out, people who can be trained to be guards or can be trained to fix the, um, fix the trucks, fix the tanks, <laughs> kind of do that and then be on the front, the front lines in war, right? Be in Afghanistan, be in Iraq. I mean, we, we are, have bases all around the world. And so they are looking at people who don't have options. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they look at them in the way of saying we're providing options, right? So that kind of what our, what our countering is, <laughs> is to say, but look at the options, look at this advertisement, um, and see what is it really. So, because they will say, um, you know, they, while there's, where, while there is that patriotism, there's always that kind of like, what is this? We're helping our neighbor. Yeah. You'll, you'll look spiffy in this uniform. We will give you a job. Uh, you'll have a career. You will, um, have money for college when you get out. The new college bill says that you can now pass that on to your children. But what you have to go through in order to get those benefits, it's not just going into the military. There's a whole lot more hurdles when you're in the military and many people don't make it through all those hurdles to get the benefits. So I think the fact that they promote so many benefits makes it clear that they are looking at um, they're looking at kids who are um, of, of lower income mm -hmm. to, in order to use those benefits as kind of the carrot to, you know, the, the, to get them uh, interested. What else does the military use to recruit young people and what should people know before joining the military about those messages that they're getting? When you go into the military, you sign a contract, right? And so it's like the, our leaflet is called, it's not just a job, it's eight years of your life. You are really signing away your basic rights. You know, if you're on a job and you've got a splitting headache or you got some, or you're like, oh, I'm really, you know, something's happening at home you need to deal with, you can just walk off the job sometimes, right? And be back the next day. You can't do that in the military. You can end up in jail if you do that in the military, that you are in there and you need to obey their orders. The, the recruiters are very good at making people feel good about going into the military, making them feel good about this decision and promising them things that they cannot promise them. Because I've worked in school so much with kids, the kids are like, but my recruiter said I can go to Hawaii. I'll get stationed in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Or my recruiter says I'll get an easy desk job. The recruiter can't promise that. They get you in the military and then that's the beginning and the end of their work. And so um, in the contract, there's a statement that you have to sign that says laws and regulations that govern military personnel may change without notice to me. This is what you have to sign. Wow. Such changes may affect my status, pay, allowances, 
benefits and responsibility uh, as a member of the armed forces, regardless, that's in caps, of the provisions of this enlistment reenlistment document. Wow. So basically, no, that kind of supersedes most of what else is there. They can change whatever they want. So you think you're going in for a certain level of training, but they don't need you there. You're like, I want to be an electrician. But when you learn how to be an electrician in the military, you don't have a license to be an electrician in civilian life. You know how to wire a tank or fix the wiring of the tank or something else. But I know when I know one kid who actually lives up the street from us or grew up up the street who went in to be an electrician and came out and he's like, well, they taught me something, but now I have to go back and get a license. I have to do all of these civilian things. So they do not prepare you for civilian life. They prepare you for what you need. And a number of the kids, and so all of it is geared towards what they need. And the military does not exist simply to create jobs for you or to be nice to you. They exist to fight wars, to so-called protect us. But the way they do that is going to other places around the world where we are not always wanted. So one of the other issues that we have to look at when we look at why kids go into the military is we heard, well, they want adventure. They want to see the world. Well, you do not see the world from a base in Afghanistan. You get off that base, you'll be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Even in South Korea, where I've gone because I'm part of War Resisters International and we have a group there, the, the military bases are so huge. They're like American cities. You know, they've got, they've got the McDonald's and they've got Burger King and they've got the movies. And they've got everything that they need. Mm-hmm. They're in Korea for six to eight months before they ever even leave. And they've never changed their money. They still own it because everything on base is, is done in dollars. Mm-hmm. And then they get a cab and they want to maybe go out and see what the nightlife looks like in Seoul. And they're totally incapable of doing that. Mm-hmm. They don't even have the money to pay the cab. They don't have, the, <laughs> you know, they're lost, you know. And so they promise a lot of bonuses, but it's not like they give you thousands of dollars up front. And again, you have to go through a lot of hoops. You have to stay in for a certain period of time. You get it in small increments and, and you get more if you have certain technical skills. If you go in as a doctor and they're looking for more doctors, you're going to get a bigger bonus. Then if you're the poor kid and they think that they're going to be able to convince you in some other way, the money for college is not free. You need to be able to meet a number of conditions, including in order to transfer this, because people go in and say, well, I've been in too long. I'm not going to college, but I can transfer it. You have to be in the military for 10 years until I'm 30. And then when you're in, you may be in the reserve, but the reserve have been getting called up for Afghanistan and Iraq for decades now. Mm-hmm. And so people who thought, well, I'm just going to be like a weekend warrior and, and not have to do anything, ended up in a, in a war. And, and, and some of them didn't, sadly, didn't come home. I think that it's also really, really important um, to look at the sexual abuse in the military. And while the sexual abuse is primarily against women and LGBT. Two people. It is also against some men. Um, there was just a new report out in the last literally three days ago on NPR. Um, a new study says sexual assault and harassment in the military is causing troops to leave prematurely, hurting readiness. They didn't say hurting the people. Mm. The study said hurting our readiness because there's so much sexual assault and sexual harassment happening, that people go in for one, you know, they're in once and then they're gone. 
Um, they're not re-upping and they need a certain number of people to re-up because, so that they're not constantly training them. And to think, wait a minute, I'm going into a job that I can't leave, but I could be sexually abused and my commander may not pay attention or may be the abuser. Those are the traps that I, that, that you go into. And some of the women in particular who are doing kind of recruitment work are women who were sexually abused and have basically, um, you know, found that the, that the most important thing they can do is to talk about that, mm-hmm. um, as to let people know kind of that reality. And we see, let's be real, we see PTSD, we see a number of things happening, not just from going to war, but from the abuse that people have in the military. And, and for those who have been kind of paying attention to the news in the last year, there have actually been a number of murders now around a number of military bases in the U.S. Um, by other by others in the military. So it's it's not an easy job. <laughs> it's a job that's based on violence and that there's an enormous amount of violence um, off the battlefield as well as on the battlefield. I was having a conversation with a young person the other day and talking about, okay, so you, if you join the military thinking that it is, um, that you're going to be doing like the patriotic duty, right? You're going to be going to a place where let's say people are being harmed and you're going to stop that harm from happening. And you realize Mm -hmm. that's actually not what's happening and the young person said, well, what do you do then? And, yeah, I, and I'm just kind of posing that question to you because I think that's a very common thing that happens within the military that yeah. people, and it's the same thing that happens with it, within the police, that people join thinking that this mission is about um, humanity and you find out it's yes. actually the opposite of that. And what, what are the options for people once they've joined the military? Right. Well, there you're you're better off not joining than going in and finding that out. It it is it is not easy to get out. It is easier to get out earlier than later. It, it's been easier to help people get out when they're in basic training and go, oh my God, what are they doing? <laughs> this is not this is not what I want to be doing. I, you know, they strip you down, they build you up in what they need. And and some people can kind of catch that and go, I, I can't do this. But others are, yeah, you're right. They're, they're overseas already. Yeah. I think that they, I mean, again, GI rights hotline is, you know, you can reach them anywhere in the world. It's one of the reasons that they exist in order to help people in their particular situations. Some people become conscientious objectors in that process. They literally get there and say, I can't shoot people. Mm -hmm. I cannot shoot people. And there is a process to go through. The military will often try to stop you going through that process. And that is a problem, right? If you say, well, I'll go to the chaplain. Well, the chaplain is a military chaplain. Kind of like their duty may not be to your conscience, (laughs) to their paycheck and to the military culture that they are in. And so that's why there are folks on the outside. So so that's one of the reasons we try to say, don't get into these situations because they are really, really hard mm-hmm. to get out of. You are in a system that does not want to let go of you. Mm-hmm. Um, they need they need your body. <laughs> they want your mind and uh, they want you to just kind of go along with it. And, and then, of course, what happens is some of the harassment that's not sexual harassment or it may turn into sexual harassment is because then you're different then you are saying, I, I can't do this. And so it begins to, you know, to really so negatively affect a person. 
So there's uh, there are organizations, War Resisters League being one of them, um, that produces materials for uh, for people to pass out. There's um, both the longer brochure, like the military is not just a job, it's eight years of your life. Um, there, there are kind of postcards that we've done or cards, kind of, you know, um, palm cards for, for people to ha- hand out. NOMI, which is the national uh, network uh, opposed to militarization of youth, and NOMY.org has a whole kit of material and of information on how to do counter recruiting and is actually a network of people who do do counter recruiting. And so um, if young people want to do that and is finding out that information, finding out the rights that they have in doing that, basically it's called equal access that the, because the military gets into your school, you have the right to also do that. Maybe not on the same day. Every school kind of does it a bit differently. Um, when I worked with students for 14 years at our local high school, we were a couple of times it happened that it was the same day that, that they messed up the schedule. But for the most part, we had a different day of the week and, and we trained the, we trained the high school kids to do it, brought them through workshops that said, okay, let's look at the sleep. Let's look at this flyer and get all the information. And then what they also did was created their own leaflets, like around themes around (laughs) things happening in school, including kind of like Halloween, you know, it's really scary, you know, and then would kind of, you know, pull things together. So they were becoming more and more um, aware of, of the issues. And then they also just become not just at the table, not just when they're doing that, but in other conversations at school they became kind of resource people. They'd say, oh, people would start saying, oh, yeah, you know, my brother's thinking of going in. What should I tell him? You know, people who didn't want to come to the table or be too visible if there's a good cross-section of kids who are doing that work. But I think that's, that's uh, yeah, really important because really the role of the counter recruitment is to tell the truth. It's to kind of, you know, unmask the myths and, and the lies and be available. And I think most high schools, you know, the recruiters are in there talking to the guidance counselors. So if you go into a guidance counselor's office, it's not, it's not full of kind of recruitment material. It doesn't tell you any, you know, it's got the glossy stuff that's part of the 1.9 billion, $1.8 billion budget, right? That's what you can walk out with, you know? And I think that a lot of high schools have you know, goals of making sure that everybody has something to do when they graduate. And so there becomes a big push around now um, for kids who, who aren't going to college, who don't have money to go to school to get into the military, that that's the kind of fallback, um, particularly as we don't have the industrial base that was the fallback um, for, for so many years. And so kids should know that if they see the military recruiting, that they have the right to start counter recruitment. There's another way of doing counter recruitment without setting up a table, which is to train people to challenge the military at their table. And so what you're doing is, is that they're not able to recruit when you're asking those questions loudly, when you're putting doubts into the other students' minds who are there. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, how do you justify murdering people? How do you justify going into these other countries and shooting people? Mm-hmm. What do you, what about the high rate of sexual assault? So kind of, you know, get the information yourself through those leaflets. If there's a group of them, which is always better than individuals, kind of, you know, do from some role plays, go through some like, what would it look like? I mean, that's, if I do training with kids, we go through role plays. 
how do you talk to the recruiters, you know, and or watch them, observe them, and then kind of have somebody play the role, play the recruiter. Welcome back. Um, you're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Um, we just heard an interview with Joanne Sheehan of the War Resisters League. Um, and before that, we had an uh, we heard an interview with Amanda Jordan Starks of Project Yano. Um, so, Becca, what are some of your thoughts after interviewing them both and being a school teacher yourself with a very strong military presence? I mean, I just am thinking about how um, I'm not only opposed to the military recruiters who act like vultures preying on youth, but also the ways in which our society funnels young people into thinking that the military is an option in general. And if you think about it, for since the Civil War, people have had the um, thinking of war as a rich man's war, but the poor fight the war. And so I keep on thinking about how do we build a stronger political awareness of the purpose of war, for who, for um, who benefits from these wars, who's harmed, and why are these wars being fought? And what would the U.S. really be without these ongoing wars and without the thousands of military bases around the world? And I want young people to be able to talk, have these conversations. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question. And I don't think those questions are asked very often, um, you know, as uh, both, you know, Amanda and, um, and Joanne were saying that, you know, they, the government puts so much money towards making the recruitment so shiny and appealing, um, you know, like, I think the common theme you know, and, and I think it's both that um, and, you know, the common theme of the stories, you know, the, in, the interviews with Project Yano and my interview last week with Liam was college money mm-hmm. and, um, you know, a lack of money to be able to do something else. Um, and I think that ties in, you know, with what Joanne was saying in terms of the political, I want to say the word political economy, but, you know, the economy of not having jobs that pay a living wage. Um, so yeah, I just heard that, you know, as a, as a co- commonality across all, um, all the interviews and, you know, and just to like kind of stepping back as you were saying, like, you know, what is the purpose of the military? Um, and I think, you know, in the interview with Liam last week, um, you know, he made it very clear, I mean, the waste that happens in the military, but, you know, it's really, as you're saying, who asking these questions of going, you know, going around the world, who's being harmed and who's actually benefiting, right? Um, and, and because the lives that are lost, you know, because I, I think, I don't know if Liam had thought of it, right? Like, I think for him, in, in some ways, it sounded like, well, I got college money, but I was like, but you, ha- you might've had to have died, <laughs> you know, that there is that possibility of you dying or you having to shoot somebody and killing someone. The other thing, just to quickly mention is that I think often we don't think about the harm of the military beyond um, for those who survive. Mm-hmm. Right. And so 
Um, recently, I read a statistic from, um, I think it was from the War Resisters League, that by uh, 2012, so the war, like we think about Afghanistan and Iraq wars starting in 2001, 2003, by 2012, of all military members sent to Afghanistan and Iraq had returned with physical and mental disabilities. So when we talk about the pervasiveness of the culture of violence and supremacy, um, people are coming back harmed and not okay. And they're not getting the services that they need. So you are really, when you join the military, you are really not just risking your life, but you're, um, making it so that you may never be able to be a thriving and like, and healthy person again. And I just, I just get so scared for, you know, my students who are about to enter into that and um, are not getting, are not being given any of the other opportunities that could exist for them in their lives. Yeah. And I think that that information, you know, what are the other options if they do want to go to college or, you know, if they want to do other things. And and that information often is not out there, especially for for working class students. We're going to end today, Nina, with a song from Credence Clearwater Revival's Fortunate Son. And I just wanted to um, say that people should listen really carefully to the lyrics that um, it's really talking about. It's not the millionaires who are going to... to fight and it's really you know what does it mean to be in a war and so if you people want to listen to those lyrics as we close out I just want to say that you've been listening to Indigo Radio today a project of the Spark Teacher Education Institute you can find us at Indigo Radio on Instagram Facebook or download the show on SoundCloud and Apple iTunes like we've said we've been broadcasting for over four years and there's lots of shows make sure to check out the show from last week with the interview from Liam who was part of the Navy Um, he tells really important information in his reflection and how his ideas have changed over time and also don't forget to support WBEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM your community radio station